Welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast, where your host, Isabel Ross, interviews experts and athletes in the field of endurance sports. Isabel Ross is a three-time Australian long-distance mountain running representative at the World Championships with a best finishing place of 10th female. Twice Australian trail champion, she has won the six-foot track marathon, run a sub-three-hour marathon, and won a 24-hour track race overall with a distance of 198.7 kilometers, as well as competing in and winning grueling ultramarathons in rugged, mountainous terrain. Isabel has raced all over the world, including participating in the notorious Barkley Marathons. Isabel is an Australian and USA-accredited endurance coach working with athletes of all levels and is a certified UESCA ultra running coach. She's also a personal trainer and podcast host. Are injuries or niggles ruining your enjoyment of running and hindering your performance? Get on top of these and see the specialists at Health and High Performance. Utilising the latest in technology and with a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can assist you with all your running, injury and performance needs. So get back to enjoying your running and achieving the results you are capable of. Head to healthhp.com.au forward slash run or find them on Instagram at healthhighperformance. Health and High Performance are located in Montalbert, Melbourne, but are available for telehealth appointments not only Australia-wide, but also around the world. Contact them on their website to find out more. Wild Earth Australia are the online store to help you make the most out of the outdoors with top quality gear at great prices. Peak Endurance podcast listeners can use the discount code PEAKENDURANCE in all capitals to get 10% off at checkout. Head on over to wildearth.com.au to get everything you need for your next adventure. Welcome to the podcast. Episode 97, getting so close to 100, is an interview with Annabelle Hepworth, who is an amazing ultra runner. She has recently been awarded with the Helen Stanger Award for the greatest single best ultra running achievement by a female under the age of 60 and the Ultra Performance of the Year Award nominated by and voted on by the Aura members for her Across the Years 10-day performance for 2019-2020. <clears throat> being across the years, of course. She won these two awards for the same event when she broke the Australian women's record back in January 2020, running 1,192.156 kilometres in the 10-day across the years race in the USA. She was not only the first female, but first place overall. What an amazing achievement. In this episode, we discuss her running and racing background, her training and her difficulties with sleep deprivation. If you enjoy this episode, please go on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps grow the audience and help me get high-profile athletes on the show. Thanks so much for your ongoing support. KP Bass gave five stars and said, thank you, love the new intro. Always great interviews. Thanks for having a lovely interview style. Your podcasts always give great tips. Great to pop the podcast on and head out running and learn. Thank you. Thank you so much for that lovely review and I'm glad you like the new intro too. Now, in collaboration with Injinji Performance Products, every month I'll bring a short interview with Craig Turco. He will keep us up to date on the latest gear for trail or ultra running or pretty much any other adventure you could imagine. Our first chat is in this episode and we discuss topo shoes. I hope you find it interesting. 
If you are looking to challenge your limits, you need to have structured, individualised training to help you get there. If you want to achieve your best, email me, Isabel, at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to get a program started. Enjoy the chat with Craig, then the interview with Annabelle. Hi, Craig, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. How are you going, Isabel? Thanks so much for having me. No worries. Now, um, you're coming to us from uh, Injinji Performance Products, where you have um, a variety of awesome products for runners and trail runners and ultra runners and everybody into adventures. Um, And we thought we would catch up and have a chat about some of the products that um, runners can look to you guys for. So I was wondering, what were you uh, having today that might be of interest to us? Yeah, so I mean, like you said, we we pretty much service runners head to toe um, yeah. from everything from footwear to socks, uh, apparel, um, hydration with ultimate direction and things like that. But um, I think today, given the the newly released sort of uh, top athletic cyclones, it could be it could be good to talk about some shoes. Yeah, because um, although you're called Injinji Performance Products, you don't just sell Injinji socks, do sure. you? You sell yeah. a variety of things. Yeah, correct. So um, we're essentially a distribution brand that distributes products for runners and good for you products for runners. So we don't just take on um, things that are there to make us a lot of money if it doesn't service the runner. So um, yeah, while a lot of the brands aren't, you know, your flagship brands, um, they are definitely industry and category leaders uh, in their own right. So yeah, Yeah. we are. we're runners ourselves, so we um, we like the products that other people like, um, and that you know, if it's good for you, it's good for us too. So, and in saying that, we're talking about Topo shoes. Why are Topo shoes good for us? Very good question. So, so Topo Athletic, I'll give you a little bit of a history. It was started by a gentleman called Tony Post, hence hence the name Toe Po. So, oh, there you go. Um, I never knew that. <laughs> I yeah, like that. yeah. So. So Tony was actually a a division one track and cross country athlete in the state. So uh, a big runner himself. Um, And as you know, in in running in the States and particularly in D1 sort of NCAA uh, running, it can be pretty intense training. So after uni, he he left or college as they call it, Mm -hmm. uh, left and wanted to chase the the dream of, of becoming a runner. Uh, and so he wanted to train harder, run further, run faster. And um, like a lot of top runners or, or runners in general, the, the more you increase your mileage and things like that, the more injuries come about. Yep. And so he often found himself being uh, injured either through, through overtraining or um, as one of his uh, sort of main pain points was from ill-fitting footwear. Um, so he actually then began to work in the footwear industry for like 35 years uh, and learned everything there was about footwear and being a runner he sort of steered towards what allowed runners to to perform at their peak and perform at their best and um he his passion obviously lay in footwear so he went out to create a a footwear brand that serviced runners as opposed to um you know becoming again just a, a designing designing a product that people have to fit into. It's a product that fits people. Um, yeah. So really Topo is built on something that's 
you know, it's no nonsense. It's a simple product and it's designed for comfort and performance. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an awesome, it's an awesome product to, to give a go if you are a runner and definitely add into your, your shoe quiver. Um, yeah. So the big thing that sort of delineates Topo from anyone else is obviously the, the structure and the design. So if you've ever seen Topo shoes, I've, I've actually got some here. Um, so if you're watching this, um, they're an anatomical shoe. So what that means is they're designed to fit your foot. Um, quite often you'll see a very tapered running shoe. Um, and while that's fantastic, if you have a nice small narrow foot, um, <laughs> you definitely don't want to be putting your feet into something that doesn't allow your foot to splay and move naturally. Um, you know, you, you move into a lot of issues when you do that, as you know. Um, yeah. And so having something that was in the structure of it, a very lightweight product, um, allowed your foot to splay and move, but had something like a, um, you know, a really nice tip of your heel counter that'll hold your heel in place so your foot doesn't flop around the shoe um, and provide a secure fit. It, it, that's important, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I know I've got a couple of um, topo shoes, a couple of pairs, and, and I really like the wide toe box um, because, you know, yeah, it lets my foot, sit in its natural yeah. position rather than be squished in exactly so i mean that that was the thing too like you know having a w nice wide toe box is fantastic a lot of the shoes are a lower drop yes. sort of shoe but we find that five mil drop is probably where we see most of our customers because it it gives people that natural running feel yeah. with our you know and all the features that you're used to in a regular running shoe having some good stack height underneath your foot to to push in and protect it um that that lower drop allows you to have that natural gait cycle without overstressing your calf and your achilles and and ultimately your plantar as well um by dropping your heel to the ground so while we do service those runners we have zero mil three mil and five mil drop shoes yep. um you know he wanted to provide a shoe that allowed people to run naturally and and feel comfortable in their gait cycle but that wasn't going to injure them, you know, based on a simple philosophy of, you know, low drop, zero drop yeah. running, you know. Yeah, which can often happen with zero drop. I mean, it's it's great and the concept is great, but, yes, it can lead to Achilles and calf issues. Yeah, most definitely. You know, I mean, the idea of shortening your stride and increasing your, your um, stride rate and your cadence is fantastic for, you know, reducing load and stress. Um but there, there's definitely a balancing point. And if you're someone who's used, you know, your regular running shoes, as I did, you know, throughout my life, uh, I tried a transition to a lower drop shoe down to zero drop and mm. unfortunately it resulted in me getting injured because it was just too much too soon. And regardless of what sort of transition period I tried to, um, you know, take it as slow as possible, it just, it wasn't right for me because that's not the way you know, yeah. I've developed as a runner. Yeah, yeah. And that's right, because we've all basically grown up wearing shoes. So, yeah, to suddenly go to zero drop can be quite hard. So, yeah, it's great that there is the, the five mil drop. I think that's a real good, you know, inter, you know, compromise with, with low drop exactly. shoes. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree. I think it's enough to give you that really nice natural feel. And, again, like I keep saying, that sort of natural um 
that natural landing and planting of the foot um, without feeling like you need kilometers and kilometers to warm up your, your tight yeah. Achilles and your calf. Yeah. Um, and the nice thing too with Topo as a brand, like all of their shoes are really lightweight for what they are designed for. So the EVAs are nice and lightweight, are still responsive. Um, and I found last incredibly, incredibly mm. well. Um, yeah. And I think that's important too, when you've got a product that, you know, is a lot, is lightweight on your feet. You know, you make hundreds of thousands of steps in your running shoes throughout its life cycle. Um, to have something that is lightweight allows you to do what, you know, when you put a lighter pair of like race flats on, for example, you feel oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. You feel fast, you feel ready to go. So, um, you know, having training shoes that are, you know, between 180 and 200 grams is fantastic. You know, we've just had the Cyclone released, which has been so, so popular. And it's because it provides you, it's got a good stack height underneath itself. Yeah. Um, and it's just super comfy underfoot. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. And so which are the, the trail shoes that trail runners could go for? Absolutely. So probably the most popular um, two shoes that we have are the mountain races yeah. um, and the ultra benches. So um, the thing that's fantastic about um, the, the brand in general is the they don't spare any expense on the material. So our trail shoes in the ultra venture twos now and the mountain races have uh, Vibram outsole. So Vibram's mm-hmm. an Italian uh, rubber company. They create, you know, many, many different types of soles and you've seen them on all your favorite brands. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically they're durable and, and the traction is fantastic. So your mountain racer is a slightly lighter um, shoe. Also five mil drop as is the Ultra Venture 2. It's got a mega grip outer sole. So super sticky, um, you know, as we discussed earlier, I live up here in the Blue Mountains and anytime I'm running over some sandstone, I've never felt traction quite yeah. like uh, in the mountain races. Um, yeah, I would agree. And yeah, so we actually have um, the likes of hockey players who use the shoes because they the shoes oh. are so comfortable wow. um, on turf uh, as yeah. well. So, you know, laterally they provide great support um, and... You know, again, the outer sole and the midsole lasts really well. All the trail shoes that we have with the Ultra Venture 2 and the Mountain Racer 2 they, uh, and Ultra Venture Pro, which is basically a nice marriage between the two of those shoes. Oh, okay. They have, they have a three-piece EVA midsole. So they probably my favourite is the um, in the heel section, you have a nice cushioned EVA. So when you're descending, you just get a little bit of extra cushion underneath your foot. Um, yeah. And again, with those... Like with the Vibram outside, you just get a great sort of life out of your shoe. Um, yeah. No, I, I I would agree, and and I've certainly well, I've certainly found the mountain races really grippy, um, up in the Dandenongs over clay and all sorts of things, mm-hmm. and and yeah, nice and light on my feet. Yeah, I think it's it's nice to have you know, for example. A, a training shoe that you can do high mileage in, but then if you yeah. want to pick it up for a workout. You don't necessarily need to change out into a lighter weight shoe. It's that's right. It, yeah, yeah. You know, even your mileage trainers are lightweight. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they they are a great shoe. And um, where can people go to to get a pair? So what you can do is actually, uh, you know, we highly recommend supporting your local retailer. So you yeah. can actually jump on our website, ingigperformanceproducts.com.au. So. Uh, I'll shoot you through a link so you can share with yep. everyone. I'll put that in um, the show notes. But you can jump on there and there will be a store locator. So um, 
you can find a store closest to you um, to check them out and obviously get fitted by a shoe professional. Um, or you can check out the range online if you just want to find out more about the, the products or, um, you know, should your local retailer not have exactly what you're, you're chasing in store. Um, but yeah, definitely check it out and definitely, um, yeah, try shop yeah. local where you can, especially given yes. the, the last important. 12 months we've yeah. had. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, now, we've been chatting and saying that we'll um, make this a regular sort of um, monthly or so little snippet where we talk about some different um, products that are great for, for runners and trail runners. So um, I look forward to chatting with you next time and seeing what else, what other awesome products you have to share with us. Most definitely, most definitely. We'll do some uh, exclusive uh, gear releases for you guys. Excellent. Sounds like fun. All right. Thanks so much. Fantastic. Thanks, Isabel. Thanks for Bye. having me. Bye. Hi, Annabelle, and welcome to the Peak Insurance Podcast. Isabel, hi. Thanks for having me. No worries. Now, can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself, your general athletic background and how you got into running and then ultra running? Uh, well, during school, I don't know that athletic is the word you'd use to describe me. I think <laughs> generally uh, forgetting my gear um trying to sit on the side having a chat to friends was my idea of a really good PE lesson yeah. um by the time I hit university I running just became something I started to like to do uh to get away from study yeah um so I continued really I'd always run um you know I went into um studied for as many years as I humanly could and then finally um <laughs> started working <laughs> I loved being a student too, so I totally get it. <laughs> I had a great time. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Time to run, actually. Yep. Best time of um, my life. <laughs> then I, you know, I um, went into daily newspaper journalism, took a job on the Australian Financial Review, which was is a national uh, daily newspaper. And again, running was just my source of, of stress relief. And um, I ran when I was... I was pregnant with my daughter. She's now 15. It, I, I would get curious looks running as a pregnant person 15 years ago. Um, oh, that would um, have been frowned upon. It was. I had I had someone say to me, what are you fall? And I thought, yeah. well, I fall anyway. I'm a clumsy person. I could fall <laughs> anyway. I didn't feel that running was a, you know, particularly um, high-risk activity. I had a midwife-led um, model for my care when I was pregnant. And they said, look, if you've been running for years, don't, don't yeah. wrap it up. Point, but you'll be you know we, we don't see any any reason for you to stop yeah. um so I ran, ran throughout my pregnancy ran when I was on maternity leave um and I took a job um changed jobs in oh, about 2010 went over to the Australian um and my husband also went he I met my husband at the Finn he was in journalism his star rose I guess for want of a better way of describing it, and he moved more into the commercial side and started doing other things. Um, so by by the time we hit the Australian, I'd started getting interested in in more long distance kind of running marathons. I was running with City Striders on a Sunday morning. I met a lot of ultra runners and people doing kind of interesting things. And I I, I don't know what what actually prompted me to do my first ultra. It was the Canberra fifty kilometer. Um, I think I'd done the, I think I would have done the Canberra 
marathon by then, I was at a point in my life where I was increasingly aware that um, being in a situation where my husband and I were both in media, um, I and had, had, having worked together for all these years, it just became apparent that we needed our own um, interests and activities were not work-related for yeah. both our sakes. Um, and so I think these, are, I sort of learned of these events and they had, that was the appeal initially, was this is something that um, I'll do that I'll have time away from family and come back and have something to talk about. So my first was the Canberra Marathon. I did the 50K and I loved it because I think the, the year, I, that would have been about 2011. And my recollection of, of that year was you'd get to the end of the marathon and then you'd stare at them blankly, the, the course marshals, and they'd stare at you blankly and you'd say, I'm, I'm supposed to keep going. I'm doing these extra, whatever it was, seven and a half, nearly eight kilometres. And I think we pointed in different directions. Somehow they sent me around, I think it was Lake Billy Griffin, for the, the final leg, the ultra distance. Um, and it just, it struck me that everyone was having so much fun on, once the actual marathon part of it, all, the, all of the parties seemed to be happening on, on that side of the race. <laughs> so that, that kind of got me hooked. Um, and then I, from there, I jumped into 100 kilometres. There was a, a race in Mongolia, Sunrise to Sunset, which is, yeah, incredibly beautiful. Um, wow, so you I, went from I, Canberra to Mongolia. <laughs> I went from Canberra to Mongolia. I was, um, we not long before that, we'd been very fortunate. My husband and I would have taken our daughter through um, Armenia, Azerbaijan and um Georgia and so I doubled this running at altitude during that trip because it was ah. just such beautiful scenery so it meant that I turned up and did this race in Mongolia it was this big loop you would do the first 42 back to camp and decide do I want to continue to 100 or if I I can call it a day here so I think I sat down and ate lunch and I, I twiddled my thumbs for an hour or so and I thought no okay I'm, I'm just going to keep going and I'll I'll just do this 100k I ran to the cutoffs I I walked parts, walked a lot of it, um, and just really enjoyed it. And, and as I say, I wasn't ambitious about time, quite the opposite. I figured my job was to make it through each checkpoint yeah. right before they closed, and that was fine. Uh, so I, I did Mongolia, and then I think it just went from there. Um, I, I never hesitated to jump into longer stuff. Um, so I think I, I probably for 24 hour quite quickly um and I remember the first one I did I think I slept most of the night because I, I couldn't even contemplate the idea of running through the night it just seemed I thought what's wrong with these people this is absolutely <laughs> the night's for I sleeping think, isn't it <laughs> thank you for sleeping so I set up a swag and um I had a fantastic night's sleep in the swag got up the next morning and, and finished what was left of the race and I, think, I think it was that one where I got a call from um then former president Rob, um, Rob saying something to the effect of we might have to give you this one I think that one could have been like the nationals that year and he was like we might have to give you an award because there's people who haven't paid their fees and blah 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 and we've <sighs> it's, it's, we've worked our way down to you and I did not cover my second going on that race believe me was <laughs> whatever where I'm getting rewarded for total underperformance um, <laughs> It's like the, um, the, the, you know, best effort award. <laughs> it was, it was, because uh, um, so that, that again got me hooked, that sense of, and I think, I mean, the sport's changed. It's still got this at its heart, I think, but you see, you don't see it as much, that sense of 
anything really. You don't know who is going to be at a race. Yeah. Um, it could be your day because a lot of people aren't there. Um, it may well not. You might have someone turn up apparently out of nowhere and, and, and just blow everyone away. Yeah. Um, so I went, so as it, it just uh, was like a gateway for me. So I, I did uh, some desert races, again, probably too early, um, some multi-day. I did one in the Simpson, I did one in the but, but too early according to who? Because you seem to be doing yes. all right. <laughs> Yeah, I, look, I think I, I probably did okay. Um, I wouldn't, if someone asked me how to get into this sport, I wouldn't advocate yes. aggressively doing yeah. that. Um, I got away with it, but it, it wouldn't be something I'd necessarily recommend to somebody, yeah. um, just in terms of injury avoidance and and um, just yes. life. No, I, I mean, I totally agree, but clearly it worked for you. Yeah, it did. It did for really, um, a really long time. I was quite happy to be on a certain treadmill where corona's changed all this but um I was really happy to be just constantly on the move um and I yeah I sort of I discovered six day races which were I guess have been my real love affair in ultra running um you know it would have been about 2014 I'd done you know some I'd started a bit of multi-day stuff 48 hours 72 before that and they put one on in Adelaide in, I think it was 2014 from memory. Um, and it was a tiny race. We were out at the Adelaide Parklands. It was a one kilometre loop uh, from memory. There was maybe a dozen of us on the race. And actually I had a shocker. I didn't really, I thought I had my head around the concept. I didn't. I got soft tissue injury really early. So I was mm. sidelined for a lot of it. Um, and I really, really couldn't deal with the mental side of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was quite interesting. I would take a cup of tea into the bathroom on the, on the course and I would sit this cup of tea on a sharp spin and I would just keep my fingers crossed that some person walking a dog would come in and ask, what are you doing here and what are your friends doing? And I could talk to them and they could tell me their love story and you know there was too much of this um because all I could see was just this I felt like I was staring into the abyss it was like six long days how what what am I doing why am I doing this and as I and, say, and, I and what day was it that you were feeling this please don't tell me it was day, day one. Oh, day two no, that's almost as bad as day one <laughs> day, two, day two is interesting on these races day yeah. one you are still full of hopes and dreams and, <laughs> That's right. and the will to live yeah <laughs> yeah the will to live you've slept it's all great you're gonna have a ball yeah and then day two is where reality strikes and it's it's struck around then on that race I didn't know how to handle that at that point mm. um but I came out of it intrigued to how one might you know how you how it might be possible to um to do this and actually uh, enjoy it and want to be doing it, um, yeah. which is a slow process. But, yeah, the day two thing, you see that on all of the six-day races, even I, I think even with some of the um, some of the male runners included who've done it sensationally well, you just you can see it in people's faces and demeanours. It's just that sense of I've gone out, I've probably done too much on day one despite knowing better. People do it time and time again. And yeah. then that damn adrenaline. <laughs> <laughs> that's right something will smash them it'll be it'll be yeah. you know it'll be dew point or sunrise or something and then you start to see reality sets yeah. in for people yeah and so since then I've um gosh I I've done nine or ten I think if you include 
the 10 day race I did it across the years I think that probably takes me to about 10 six day races wow um yeah so, so obviously I, I you um you you managed to um <clears throat> work out a way of getting through yeah. that two to the two-day blues yeah yeah Just. and so so what have you done to develop your mental strength it's, it's an interesting thing um I I didn't consciously um train that I think for me a lot of my ability to handle the six day mentally I've, I've learned it on the job so to speak it's it's been something that I've finessed by doing doing a few of these races yeah. I yeah. so I did as I say my first one a, a lot of and a lot of things do go wrong in these races it's just the nature of them um, oh, I can imagine there's just the potential over that time frame it's you get that exponential rise in what can go wrong and what does go wrong um so I you know I wasn't having a great first race anyway I think mm. by the time I did the second um that was in Peter Peter Maritzburg in South Africa tiny tiny race there was a handful of runners uh, myself someone from Israel who's gone on to run the 3100 mile um Shri Chimnoy race um oh, yeah. there was a, a couple yeah a couple of uh, that was Kobe there was a couple of others of us um I didn't know this at the time, but I was sensationally anemic and I couldn't work out why I wanted to sleep. Um, six or so hours into the race, I went into the kitchen, took what turned out to be about a four hour nap and I was jet lagged and I woke up and thought, mm. oh, what am I doing? This is actually a race. I maybe need to spend some time on the fourth. Um, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I didn't have a, a great race in terms of the actual distance, but um, mentally I enjoyed that one a lot more. And um, I, I could see that actually time just sped up with each successive day and they do that. I don't ah. know why they just seem to do that on these races. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so I, I had a couple of kind of aha moments um, during that race, it, just in terms of the fact that, um, yeah, time is, is it, it does seem to accelerate as the race progresses. Six days sounds like a long time. Because it, 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 it is. It, it is a long time, but at the same time, it does go incredibly fast. Okay. Um, and that that sort of surprised me. And then I just kind of worked out what routine yeah. works for me. And I, I think I also, I guess, got over myself and that sense of um, feeling like uh, I was always a pretty mediocre, you know, look, I've had some okay races, but um, I certainly never mastered the 24-hour. And, and I've never mentally mastered the 24-hour. I've got a... Ah. What do you find harder about 24 hours than six days? Oh, my God, the sleep deprivation. I um, Oh, I because you can sleep during a six-day, yeah. Correct, yeah. I've just got mm. a really strong circadian rhythm. I I just feel totally dysphoric at three in the morning, no, yep. matter, no, no matter what the circumstances, no matter whether I'm in a, you know, in a pretty happy state mentally, I'm having a good race, 3 a.m. just doesn't work for me. And yeah. I think it is trainable. I think there's you are committed and want to do that. Yeah. I think there's ways and strategies you can use. Um, yeah. But I've never, I've never mastered that. Um, and so, I, I sort of realised on that race, I had to get over feeling like oh, I'm a bit of a failure in terms of my inability to just stay awake like everyone else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> except that maybe there was a way it could work for me. You know, um, there's with six days, there's almost two schools of thoughts and most people are in between at the one extreme you, you can move quite slowly and get very little rest 
or you take a view, you really try and move as fast as you can and you take more time off the course and you rest physically. Yeah. Um, and I, I realised, I, I really, I had to work with that, that physical need I've got for sleep. I just, it's, a, yes. it's partly physical, it's, it's, it's mental. Um, but but I, I just, think it's I best to work with, with your body what, rather yeah. than try and fight it. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, and that has been, for me, that was, yeah, one of the things that's allowed me to, to, to have even any desire to continue with it. Um, yeah. I think if I'd gone beyond two where I was banging my head against a wall saying I need to overcome my desire to be asleep at three in the morning, it, I yeah. would have just stopped. Why would I put myself through it again? Yeah. Um, so was that that working within the parameters you've got? Because I, I, I do think it's interesting, this question of what's, what's trainable, um, and what are those because I've heard like, sleep deprivation is not trainable. I don't think it is. I, I think you can. I think there are mental strategies that will get you through, mm. say, a twenty-four hour. I, I'm not dead on. I'm, I'm not unable to keep my eyes open on a twenty-four hour, but I am so despondent at usually around three. It is just best for me and it's best for everybody that I <laughs> do something whether you know, on, on sort of the, the I guess the the. The ones where, for instance, when I needed to qualify for C2K, I yeah. um, knew I had to get to 180 and that meant I couldn't go off for hours. Um, so I think I did a deal with myself. I'd get off the course for, you know, 15, 20 minutes at a certain point. And so I spent a couple of hours saying, you're not, there won't be no break. There will be a break here. And um, that, that worked. But, yeah, I think sleep deprivation is interesting. I think it is a struggle to train yourself. I mean, if it's, I, my, yeah. my time is 2 a.m., so I totally mm, get it. Mm. And, and I, I struggle. And so I just have to have a nap. Like, I just have to. Because well, you've done Berkeley. Is that that's right? Berkeley, yeah. But I didn't. Berkeley, I only yeah. did. I only got through one lap. I was over time. So I, I didn't really go that long without sleep. I've done a 24-hour and I didn't sleep. I remember you had an amazing rate. Yeah, yeah, but I was so wonky by the end. I couldn't even yeah. hold my body straight. So it really affects me. And and I've done 44 hours on a trail ultra, but I was hallucinating So oh, wow. <clears throat> by the end. So sleep deprivation really affects me as well. So I mm. totally get it. Mm. Now, um, you've actually just recently been awarded with the Helen Stanger Award. I'm going to just read this bit. For the greatest single best ultra running achievement by female under the age of 60 and the, so it's two awards, and the Ultra Performance of the Year Award nominated by and voted on by the Aura members, which is the Australian Ultra Runners Association. Uh, and that was for your across the years 10-day performance, which was in across 2019 to 2020. And you won both those awards for that same event when you broke the Australian women's record um, in, in January, it ended up being 2020, running 1,192.156 kilometres um, in the 10 days across the years, which was in the States. And you were not only the first female, but you were first overall. So what a remarkable yeah. achievement. Thank you. Yeah. And congratulations <laughs> on being those well, getting those well-deserved awards from Aura. Thank you. Um, first of all, can you tell the listeners, because we've spoken about the six-day race and you did touch on the 10-day race. I, I looked it up and read all about it, but did you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about the race itself, like 10 days oh. and, and what kind of a loop is it and that sort of thing? <clears throat> yeah, so it's um, it's in Phoenix, Arizona, so it's it's desert. Yeah. Um, and it's held, uh, We the whole purpose of this particular race and the reason it's called Across the Years is 
as best they can, they like all runners to be on the course as the new year is coming in. And by that, I mean, um, if you, you can choose when to do, say, 24, 48, 72 hour options, the six days obviously fixed and they put on 10 day this particular year. Um, so it's it's called across years because of because of that. Yeah. Uh, so they've been having a six day for years at, at this site, Camelback Ranch, which is the I think it's the spring training facility for the uh, the White Sox and the Dodgers, which are based. Oh, okay, training. cool. Um, and what it is is it's a it's course to describe. It's it's a little over a mile as a loop. Um, it's hard packed dirt, I guess you describe it, country road. There's a little gravel patch, yeah. uh, which some years has been deeper and more problematic than others. Mm-hmm. In the centre, it, it, there's a lake. So it's, it's actually quite scenic and beautiful. There's, um, there's a lot of cactus around. And then you see a residential street on one side and you see a, um, you see a pharmacy and more street on the other side. And then you see the back of... Um, it's literally a parking lot full of where people put their RVs. Oh, okay, yep. Going. Um, so it's a one mile loop. There's a little tiny bit of a, a hill that I think everyone starts to call Camelback Hill at some point. Yeah, I, I read um, that um, that after a while <laughs> that hill becomes quite um, it does difficult. <laughs> it really, it just, um, it, it gets you <laughs> psychologically. Yes. And I'd, I'd done a, a 72 hour a day on that, race on that site before and I'd done two six days a good goodish one and a not good one um so this year I think to mark I'm, I'm not sure what they were marking I, it could have just been the fact we were going into a new decade they decided to put on a 10 day now the six days a standard distance it's got yep. a, a long history it dates back to the 1870s um okay 10 days is um a bit of a funny beast it's it has got some history. So certainly the Shri Chimnoy Marathon team have been putting on a 10-day in New York for years. Yeah, that's right. And we've had, yeah, we've had other, um, we've had other 10-day race options put on o- over the years. Um, so they decided to hel- hold a 10-day this particular race. We had, I think, 50 to 60 runners doing the 10-day. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, it was great. There was a huge turnout. Um, we started on the same day as the six-day runners. In New York with the Sri Chinoy team, the 10-day runners start, and when you're a six-day runner, you join them on the start of their day four. Yeah. After day four. Uh, with this one, the six-day runners started with us, so it was it, which is and so you didn't get the benefit of fresh legs towards the end what you got is potentially faster runners to, to keep an eye on and to, to yeah you know, because that would sort of drag you along a bit wouldn't it it does yeah and then and then they just up and leave you literally that last um that last when they all go after you get to the 100 and um what is it 144 hour split they all pack up pretty pretty fast oh and then that'd be so <laughs> i'd be so jealous <laughs> Yeah, you have that that sort of. I could have just signed up for the six day race. Why was I actually thinking doing ten days? Oh gosh! Um, but it did have a nice. It it had a you know it's got a um, particular vibe. This race, um, it gets a lot of repeat offenders who. So you know a lot of people there, and you do it each year. Murray Boyd, who was an Australian um, age group who lives over in California. She um, she tends to do the race. She wasn't on this one, but she's done, done it with me in other years. Um, and yeah, it's um, it, it's an interesting 
I was surprised how good race because I went into it thinking I don't do well on trails. I'm actually a disastrous trail runner. It's unbelievable how bad I am. Are you, are you the type that trips all the time? I trip, I get lost, I'm double jointed <laughs> and, and therefore very unstable and I yeah. do, I just, I'm, I'm all over the place. Um, yeah. This, so I, I didn't go in there expecting to, I, I thought that the um, fact that this wasn't um, tarmac would work against me, but in fact, I think it probably favoured all of us because tarmac can be so It's brutal. softer. Yeah, that softer surface. Yep. turned out to be good and look Camille Heron turned up um she was briefly she had planned on having a crack at the 48 hour um American record at the very least uh with her and she, I think she started day two because we'd had summer and she wanted the course to dry and so in it, I mean it was kind of it was an interesting thing to have someone of that extraordinary leg speed on the course she pulled out maybe 12 hours in she was struggling with injury mm. but mm. she was just flying around yeah. and it's you have to be careful because you're like I'm running with Camille Heron I need to have a chat to her and say a few things before she you know Barrel's <laughs> passed yeah. yeah yeah um so that I think that did give everyone a bit of a boost um yeah. and yeah but it's it's um it's a really nice race yeah yeah mm. and so um with that do you, do you change directions at all yeah, we, so in, for fatigue management reasons, I think we used to do, I think we did four hourly in other six-day um, iterations of ATY. So I'm, I'm struggling to remember some of the detail here, but so the, the people who do the timing, um, Bill Schultz and Mike Milton, who are quite well-known fixtures on the um, ultra circuit in the US in terms of timing guys. Yeah. They knew they needed to get enough, you know, for 10 days, they couldldn't be doing turnarounds too frequently or they'd get very fatigued themselves. Yeah. So I, we changed, I think from memory, we changed to every six hours. Yeah. So we went we went longer between drinks than we would ordinarily, uh, but it was still, you know. It was but with a larger up. loop, that's not quite so important, is it? No, no. I think it's it's a bigger problem Um it's a bigger it's a bigger issue when you've got I did one in Pretoria South Africa and it was about a half a mile and it was uh, essentially on um it was essentially the driveway to a um a golfing range actually quite okay. it, I'm underselling it that actually was stunning visually to look at okay. there was a lot we had peacocks on the course because we thought it was, oh, it was nice. a lot of fun but 800 meters roughly beats you it just it, it breaks you a bit and there were tight turns and all kinds yeah, of things yeah. um for this, I mean, we could have gone a lot longer than we did. And I think the, what the turnarounds, yes, they do break up the pressure points on the body, but it's the psychological aspect of marking time that yeah. you've hit another milestone. And it's also just yes. seeing people actually eyeballing them. And, you know, you, you, I mean, you've done these races, you have that bizarre thing that happens where you think you, you think people you've been wanting to talk to for eight hours aren't on the track. And in fact, They've been just behind you the entire time, and you sort of you're oblivious because you just haven't slowed. You know, you haven't stopped long enough to make yes. coffee or whatever you do. But you've actually gone. Oh no, you're still out here, and so you finally see them on the turnaround. Um, so, yeah. Mm. And so you said there were um, fifty to sixty people in the race. Yeah. Uh, do you know whether it was predominantly female or male? That's a really interesting question. I'd like to have. I should have a look at the numbers. I 
expect it was a reasonably even mix. Oh, good. I've done, I have done races um, where it's been, not many, but I've certainly done one or two where it has been really male dominated. Yes, and that's um, what I was wondering. And <laughs> yeah, and I, I did this one, oh dear. Um, Look, he's a great race director. I really enjoy the race. But I did this one in Athens where there are a lot of boats. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, how hard is it to use the portaloo? And it's like urinating on the side. And you just, something like that. Um, yeah. You know, you, women do bring a civilising influence to these races. <laughs> I like that, a civilising influence. Very true. Um, so, but, yeah, I mean, that one, I think that one was fairly even. Yeah. Um, it felt like it was quite even and there was a lot of just the, the race director um jubilee um and looks one of the women who um who was running the kitchen jamil Koo's mother was there and I, I felt like there was a lot of actual female support on that sort of administrative side of the race oh that's um, good yeah yeah but it is i mean i do find this interesting the extent to which these races do appeal to women versus men because my while while you know the, the best women's performance on a six days 880 something Giannis Kouros has a what a 1036 1038 yeah. um but that yes, is Giannis Kouros yeah exactly exactly and, and I think you do get that outlier effect um yes but I think I think they are a race where women do have the potential to um to come into line with men a bit more than perhaps yes. I, mean, I, don't I, I totally agree. This up, but I think that percentage to which you're, you know, a really outstanding woman can uh, um, catch catch a Giannis type number. Mm. I think that I think that might narrow a bit at these these distances than over, say, a twenty four. As I say, I haven't I haven't done the numbers. It's just the sense I have. Um, no, no, but I think I think that that's generally the way the trend goes. The longer it goes, the more the women equalise yeah. out in the results, and which is borne out by your first place overall. So how far behind was the first male? Oh, from memory, so, so I think that would have been Philip. Um, and I've, I've run, he's a new uh, northeast US runner and he's, he's really good when he has a good race. Um, he's just a joy to behold. I had previously done a, a race with him in New Jersey and he took a very different approach to me. I'm quite relentless. If I'm not sleeping, I'm on that course moving. Yeah. Whereas I see Philip, fly around and you'd be like these legs and then you yeah. see him and you're sitting on the side having um a sandwich and a drink and I think you could eat that sandwich while you're moving my friend so just yeah I mean you would eat while you're moving but, wouldn't you yeah but this one was I I um I think he was having a, a, a harder time from the start um it was you know it was cold yeah um and I think I can't remember keeping an eye on the numbers um yeah. too much but I kind of was aware that this gap had opened up um quite early I it was oh. it's a really strange thing I, I've got a message from someone in Australia who watches these races and they said to me at the end of day one you realize well like what are you doing you idiot was the under, under <laughs> and I had I had just run to feel but I'd really been feeling good that first day and I I think I was into the 170s or so which is Wow. much more than I would have it was a bit it wasn't the smartest pacing strategy but it kind of yeah, but of once watch. again it worked yeah it worked um but I did get messages from people saying you know you're ahead of people on the sixth day and I thought oh, that's just <laughs> the weirdest 
thing. That's not idea I've really the other point is that someone who prides myself on not not running like a man. I think I've run like a man here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it sort of opened up and and never really closed. And um, and I, I remember I had a chat to Phil and who who was behind me, and he said, you know, I, you know, I'm watching your out in front and. Um, he said I wanted to have a fairly, he wanted to have a quite even pacing strategy given the length of the race, it was 10 days. Um, and I remember saying to him, yeah, we can see how my pacing strategy fares. Um, I, I made a conscious decision at the 72 hour mark to just try and pull it back a bit. Yeah. I felt like, what are you doing, Annabelle? I was at about 4.20 and um, it just, I, I knew it was potentially just a, it was a high risk strategy to try and keep that level of momentum going aside of the fact that I would have done it anyway but yeah. I, I sort of made a mental decision I needed to take a breath here because this wasn't about my best ever six-day split and there was that thought of should I try for an 800 here um you know very few women have done that it'd be a, a great thing and I, I was torn between thinking a that's actually physically very difficult it won't be necessarily pretty and then I thought where does that leave me for the next four days? It could be, yeah. and I've seen people set intermediate records before and you do, this phenomenon seems to happen yes. where they just run out of, the adrenaline goes or something happens and they just run out of steam. And I realised I did actually, I wanted a good 10-day result and yeah. I started to get more interested in the 1,000K. At, at about that time, I thought, well, if things, the, the wheels don't fall off, I might be able to have a go at this 1,000K mark. Um and I'd, this is where having had some really bad races came into its own. And it, I, I couldn't have had a race where I'd um, done so well and I think kind of gotten to the limits of what my body is, is able to do um, if I hadn't had some races that had gone pear-shaped. And yeah. yes. I mean, six-day races that had gone pear-shaped. And so even with ATY, I'd had a not bad race, I think, where I'd gotten first female a couple of years prior slept a lot but um you know it had been okay the next year I just everything was wrong and I was kind of injured and I was walking and it was miserable beyond brutally cold it was just a hard hard race for everyone but I think I got perhaps second female and I decided if I wasn't going to have a, a great race I should at least hang on to position which I guess is the thing you fall back on when you can't get the distance you want yeah um and so Having had a bad race on that course, it did give me a sense of what the worst case scenario was anyway and what what it looked like in terms of the numbers, what it felt like um, to have a, a not great time. So I, I could sort of work backwards from that, if it makes sense, and yes, say, well, yes. okay, say the wheels fall off, I can still get to this. Um, and so that, that was able to help me psychologically yeah. deal, deal with this, what am I trying to do here? Um, knowing just knowing what the worst case scenario would look like, and it wasn't worst case scenario anyway. Um, but I did did realise I needed to keep an eye on not building up a, um, a sleep debt, and so yes. I was getting a lot of rest and just quite disciplined about that. Um, and and, and I was going to I was going to ask that what did you do about sleep? Like, so how much sleep did you have over the ten days? Oh, look, I. You know, there's this weird thing where people like to um, spreadsheet what people do. I'm just did actually some numbers, and I I think typically for this, even as I was even had some six hour laps. So that six hours did include um, going from the timing mat to the RV and finishing the loop in the morning. 
Um, so you were maybe course. napping for um, five hours? Yep, yeah, four to six most nights. I think that would have been probably at the start. I'd have gone a bit shorter when I was super fresh. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I I couldn't put myself. I I would have blown myself up had yeah. I tried to squeeze it too much because the thought in the back of your mind then becomes oh, God, I'm going to, and it's very hard to break this kind of negative thinking, I think, once you get into this rut. Um, the thought would have been, oh, my God, three hours, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to be yeah. tired, cranky, yeah. cold. Um, and we had we had creature comfort, so we were able to have RVs there, but we didn't have facilities. We didn't have um, a utilities thing to plug them into. Yeah. So the RV's power was based on what it came with, and... I didn't realise you needed to feed an RV to keep it alive and going. And so the electricity ran out, oh, the water no. ran out. Oh. And I was going, I was going off, um, I was going off the course every day to have a shower, which I felt was quite important for a few reasons. Um, psychologically, I just thought there's there's limits on what I'm prepared to put myself through for 10 days. Yeah. And I was also actually I was quite concerned about cellulitis risk. I've had that on a few races and What's that? so skin skin infection around the ankles from, where oh. from yeah just from look on because I'm a clumsy kind of a runner and I'm constantly tripping over my own feet I, I scratch up my ankles oh so does your heel come and, through and kick your ankle oh yeah it kicks my whole leg I mean I'm, yep, I'm just I I'm a disaster that. really yeah yep. and so I I've had and what tends to you see a bit of this on six day um people get uh, problems with the tea band it tends to be yep. uh, exacerbated by putting on a tiny chip quite tightly around the ankle ah. the fabric itself can be a bit abrasive yes and I then you imagine. get yeah you get a little tiny bit of kind of all that edema and compartment syndrome stuff going on and it's why I think you get cankles at the end of some races you see people yep. who put those glorious pictures on on Facebook and so on <laughs> <laughs> that that kind of a scenario for me has ended in cellulitis and the problem with cellulitis is um once it's in, if you don't have antibiotics with you, it can it can really um, it can become a systemic infection. You can be in a lot of trouble. So I I would take I I went off the course each day to shower to actually really wash myself properly and to reapply tape to my feet because again I'd, I'd had a bad experience on another race where I'd let I'd let the used sheep's wool I'd let the tape go for days and it was just it was a really stupid thing to do and I sort of knew I couldn't take those risks on a um yeah. such a long race no definitely so there was not. a lot of yeah so there was these two periods there was sleep and there was that just that kind of like um you can't give in you're not succumbing to that temptation to go too crazy um if you don't do the self-care piece yeah. you pay so it, if I you're think. saying you were having four to six hours of sleep what for like a six day just to deviate for a second how much yeah. sleep would you have on a six day Oh, I used to religiously do six plus hours I had a view for a very long time no one was interfering with my sleep um and I didn't didn't care for what they said I was only prepared to even contemplate the possibility of cutting that back to more like four hours when I did the Adelaide race in 2018 uh, so, so you were going for basically the same previously with the six day you'd go for yeah, about six yeah, hours yeah I was yeah right. I was getting a lot of people comment to the point where I was almost living I was the person who, who was always off sleeping for these really long periods but it was um it, it was it necessary was, for you it was necessary and I think for me to even push back um, that sleep, a few things had changed in my life. Like I got out of daily journalism in 20, mid-2018 mid 
and being so not being in that pressure cooker environment I think it meant there was um there wasn't what that cumulative stress in your life mine had diminished as a result of that and um and I felt like you know I could probably revisit that on the sleeve a bit um so I did in Adelaide and the other piece of course was I wasn't jet lagged which yeah. made a huge difference yeah. yeah and now when you do a race like the 10 day do you have a run walk strategy I run walk to feel um and I don't I know people and it works it works for some people brilliantly they spreadsheet things and they go on with quite rigid plans I'm getting the um, impression that a lot of these multi-day race people love spreadsheets. Yeah, I know a few people who love spreadsheets. <laughs> I mean, I'd like a good spreadsheet too, but... Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> I, look, they can be good, but not for actual, not for managing me. I, no. I, I'm very happy to impose yeah. a spreadsheet on another human being. I'm It's not how um, I like to work. So I, no. I didn't go into it with a... Um, anything other than a loose idea of what my best race has been and roughly where I'd been each day. Um, but beyond that, I literally just ran walk the deal and I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good walker. Yep. Um, and I, I just felt like on that race, I, oh, well, I did. I did to, get the, to get where I did, I ran more than I would have on other races. But it, it was, again, I just felt like the body was up for that. My yeah, yeah. And, and I really believe in, in running by feel. Like I think yeah, you know your body better than a spreadsheet knows your body. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I've seen, uh, I, yes, I've seen people who just um, put themselves under huge amounts of pressure trying to, because they, you know, yes, and yes, they're capable of revising things, but in that moment before they do that, you can see the pressure people are putting themselves under yeah. and, Look, it can work. I mean, sometimes people go in and with very rigid plans and they have these most sensational outcomes. But I think other times it, it um, you've got to go with what your body's yeah. telling you. Yeah. And, and the thing is that, like you alluded to earlier, is every race is different, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. and, and different things crop up and things will crop up, but it could be different each time. Um, <clears throat> what did you do about shoes? Did you use one pair or did you interchange shoes? Yeah. or? So I left, I, I'm actually quite a shambolic person in life, unfortunately. <laughs> and you didn't have a spreadsheet have, for your shoes, Annabelle? No, I don't. <laughs> I wish, no, I have spreadsheets for work and other things, but not, not for this, unfortunately. No. I should, actually, life would be a lot better if I did put a spreadsheet. In my own head, I know what to pack because I've done a lot of these things. Shoes, I, I, so I threw it all together probably the night before I was due to fly out. Um, I know to pack a few pairs of shoes and some really good advice I was given right before I did um, a, the Racing the Planet Chile race was one of the organisers said to me, you want to think about having a pair of shoes that's a size bigger because your yeah. feet may well swell and this is a problem. And that's really stuck with me. And so I always pack different models, different sizes, because sometimes you just sort of feel like a, a shoe that's sort of, you know, slower, less responsive, but it's got a lot of mushy stuff underneath it. Other times you you need um, you, you know you just want something with a huge big toe box you know yeah. a huge big toe box. Um, other times you might actually want a shoe that's got very little to it. Um, so yeah. I packed I packed a shoe I packed one or two pairs and I think I bought a pair over there. Where I got into trouble with it was my favourite pair 
um, because it was a very sandy kind of a course, oh, okay. they sort of absorbed sand, and they were oh. the race organisers were watering the course quite frequently just to keep to oh. keep it from getting dry and and just gnarly. And so my shoes became a bit concrete like, oh. and I'd be there in the dark in my RV. You know, the, the alarm and whatever would go off at five, and the lights had run out because um, because I didn't realise that these things needed to be plugged in or you need to turn on the engine to get the power working. So I'd be there in the dead of night, in the dark, and I'd be trying to get this damn piece of concrete to open and yield to my foot. And so I realised I couldn't wear my favourite, the shoes I yeah. wanted to wear that I was very happy with. I had to go to a, a similar but not the same model and I was, they did actually have less of a heel drop and that did affect me. I got a bit plantary. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a logistics organising thing. Um, and it's harder when you're travelling because yeah. you don't, you can't pack everything. But, no. um, Although I, yeah, I always try. Yeah, but that stuff can get you. It's it's funny. Um, and yeah. you do see you do see people every now and then just, you know, they're asking around for pairs of shoes. And yeah. then of course you wow. get the classic thing. Yeah, and you get the shoe, the shoe, shoe surgery on the sixth day. Um, oh yeah, cutting open the toes and that. Yeah, yeah, they they um I think a six day runner really loves um loves getting a salmon knife and doing <laughs> to their shoes <laughs> and so um did you have a crew no no oh. I um I don't I other than CDK I um I don't get crew um oh, why a few reasons look I certainly my my husband's super busy works really hard and looks after our kid while, while I do this and so I am grateful I'm not going to ask him to, to crew yeah um and so it becomes Looks a few things. I feel like I feel like I'm imposing on people when I yeah. ask them to, to come and watch me for all of this time. True, and it is a long time. <laughs> it's a long time, and it's this issue of um, am I going to be worried about my crew, and are they mm. getting along, and um, <clears throat> and are they are they needing something out of this, and am I giving it to them or am I not giving it to them? And yeah. um, going lone wolf has always worked for me. I mean, I can see, I can see how having a crew definitely would help. Um, yeah. But I think you do, you do unleash this whole other thing of the psychology of, of having a crew. And I think that does, um, yeah, it does have its impacts too. Um, look, look, I, I agree. Think, I've yeah. done races with and without crews and um, there's benefits to each. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And um, how, in God's name, do you train for something like this? Yeah, I um, I I I'd just been doing a lot of events really when I did that one, and I had done the six day in Adelaide, and yep. um, I so that's like a, in August or something, isn't it? Uh, September, yeah, late September. So oh, so that was um, pretty close. Very close, yeah. Mm. It, I think I got away with it just, and mm. I was aware it was close. But I was probably sailing a bit close to the wind. <laughs> did Adelaide wanted to have a better race than I did? Um, we we got smashed with the heat in the last couple of days, and I didn't manage that well. And this is yeah. not having a crew. And look, everyone was other people's crews were very helpful, but it's it's um, I didn't manage the hydration part particularly yeah. well. Came out of it feeling like I could have done better, but didn't. Um, but you know that's that's the nature of it. Yeah. And then I um I did a kind of rested for a while, and then I went to um. I went to this race in Malacca or just outside of Malacca uh, in Malaysia. It was this oh. 200K race in about November. And it was oh, seriously? Yeah, it was a ball. I mean, it was such a fun race. It was like these two 
hundred kilometer um, loops, and um, I, and I didn't have a didn't have a particularly um, I didn't have a bad race. It, I was still quite fit from that, and yes. um, and just had a ball. It was it was just a lot of fun. And then I went and thought, oh, I've got this big race coming up. I think I should get some rest. And we, my daughter's school breaks up early. We'd gone into the holidays. I took her to Vietnam. And so um, what I did there was actually I thought, I remember once um, Martin Fry telling me a story about being fed a lot of ice cream ahead of a um, Shri Kinoi race in New York and that it probably worked for him. And I thought, if he said this, it's got to be excellent advice. And I'm just going to do that. <laughs> And so that was actually what I did for, that was December. December was just eating my way. I mean, I did some running, but, you know, it was mostly just eating my way around Vietnam. And Good for in you. Hindsight, yeah, in hindsight, it was, I think it probably was a big part of why I had a good race because actually for once in my life, I was kind of rested, um, both yep. mentally and physically. And, and just, also I um, I find the Vietnamese food when I was there, it's really clean and healthy and, yeah. and really good. So if you're going to eat a lot, that that kind of food is good. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and so, and so you felt like maybe you went into it like fully, full of energy from having rested yeah. and eaten the correct amount, yeah. basically. For yeah. that's awesome yeah, it to know. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't um, because I'm I'm smart or planned well. It just kind of happened <clears> that way. And and I had, to, as I said, I've taken this very good advice I've heard, um, and it did. I think it. it, it you do see people. They. they I, I. I'm sometimes a bit shocked by what I see people doing in terms of distance and I'm someone who likes to run a lot and do really long events but I, I just um the way I, I've noticed and maybe it's amplified by COVID but talking to other runners lately I do feel like a lot of people are teetering with burnout and I just yeah without calling it burnout I feel like a lot of people in my age group I would um, agree what they're articulating is a version they, they are and it's hard to know, you know, do, do you say, well, I think you're burnt out? Because I I think I've been burnt out plenty of times yeah. and yeah. and people haven't said it to me and maybe maybe they should have. Maybe they just said, you know what, you really need a big break, go for a holiday. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it is, it's is—it's a trap that you can fall into. And I think, yeah, if you love running, you love running. But the idea that you need to do these epic distances yeah. in order to then do these events, I don't think it, it really stacks up to scrutiny. And I think yeah, I think it just us, exhausts you, yeah, basically. I think it does too. I, th- the, I think the smart operators, the ones who've done, some of the ones who've done really well um, yeah. have been quite strategic about what they do. I'm thinking so, of, say, a Joe Payers, yeah. So what would you say would be your average sort of weekly mileage? Look, it varies. I mean, it varies dramatically for me because yeah. I don't... Um, I, I'm not somebody who runs to a plan. And so at the moment, I'm, I'm more interested in Netflix and the couch and the fact that, you know, we're still sort of on border closures, kind of, or are we? Yeah. Um, so I don't, have, I don't have particularly high hopes for this year. No. Um, no so at the no, moment, no. not much. But look, I mean, it, it, I suppose if you were to average it ahead of life, like going into that race in 20, was it the end of 2019, start of 2020, I'd have been doing anything from 100 kilometres to potentially 100 miles a week on average. Yeah, so yeah. there's plenty of weeks where I, you know, it's, it's five kilometres to the to the bakery and that's it. And yeah. I'm lucky if I can get, you know, get out to get a coffee the next day running there. But then I'll have these other weeks where I've done an event and I'm not taking a huge amount of rest afterwards. So, yeah. But I, I, and would you do speed yeah. work when you're building up for an event? <clears throat> no. No. No, no. Um, running... 
I think this is why I started in ultras. Um, the idea of having to push and run really hard for a marathon, um, it doesn't, doesn't interest you. It doesn't interest me. And I think, I think you have to look, I'm getting better at this as I get older. I think you have to be really judicious about things that stress you. And, yeah. you know, I know people do do things like say, I've got an overnight race coming up, therefore I will go out a few times with friends and we'll run through the night. Yep. I wouldn't ever do that personally because I, for me, that would just be such high stress that it, it, the, the benefits wouldn't be. And personally, be I think the amount of recovery needed from an all-night run mm. negates the, the benefits you get. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm of that school of thought too. Um, yep. So the older I get, the more I think, you know, even some of the stuff I've done where I've sailed close to the wind and maybe got away with it, it's not prudent. It's certainly not. As I say, it wouldn't be something I'd recommend anyone else to do. <laughs> you know, I, I've spent a lot of time flirt, flirting with just burnout. And I look, I, I just accepted there were going to be bad races as a result yes. of doing a lot of races. And I was fine with that. Not everyone's going to be, though. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a funny one. Um, there's no real guidebook on any of this. No, that's right. I think you've got, you've got people going into the space and coaching who've done some of these really long races. And so... I think you can either use those guys in a in a in a true sense, get a coach, or you do what I think a lot of us who've done these races do, which is just pick the brains of other six day runners, um, yeah. either on races or outside of races, and then just get there. And I think a lot a lot of the, the things that have helped me the most have been things I couldn't have been told about that I've had to witness firsthand. Um, there's a German runner who she she walks now, but she's relentless. She does not waste a minute yeah. when she's on these races and th that's something I, I learned from watching her and going wow that's that's really impressive how she does that yeah but it's not something I think that someone would have ever told me um yep. be be brutal in your approach to time when you are on the course so stuff yeah. like that you just yeah I don't think it's it's easy to be um to be taught yeah. mm. so um what's next for you you sort of hinted that you're not really planning much because of COVID, but do you have anything sort of? At the moment, no, I'm, I'm extending my philosophy of, of, of not putting pressure on myself to this whole year in a way. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm, I mean, it's an interesting time in the sport because, and I don't, I think we've had a pent up demand for races and so they are oversubscribing, which yes. and races that I wouldn't have expected to oversubscribe. So I'm aware that not putting an entry in for anything eventually will catch me. Um <laughs> So I'm starting to think about, you know, entries and, and the like. Um, but look, no, I don't, I, I don't have a, I'm, I'm concerned about um, planning too much for this year and being, you know, struck with a snap lockdown or a border closure yes. and having a lot emotionally invested. Like I've seen with some of the race cancellations, people are truly a bit gutted yep. and yep. it's hard. It's hard on the runners. It's hard on the race director. Definitely. And there is a part of me that says, just take a breath when... Yeah you know if I, I can worry about it when things start to normalize a bit um yeah. I'm, I'm concerned about putting a lot of pressure on myself this year um I mean I, I think that's a good idea a lot of people have spoken about 2021 as if it's you know going to be all wonderful but we've already yeah. seen that it's not necessarily that way and and unfortunately and and I keep saying well hopefully by after June but you we know, don't know. We do just we? don't it's... know. So I think I think, you know, sure, maybe enter races, but 
even then don't put so much stock in them that you're going to be devastated yeah. if you if they go, don't I think go ahead I think that's the really pragmatic approach is yeah. just get the entry in because yeah. um it's 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 better if you do the race yeah. director's got some idea who's, who's what the numbers are and so on I think this really is the, the approach to take get the entry in and, and then see where you get to when you get there yeah. um because we don't know how this vaccine rollout's going to go and um it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of variables here for this year. Yeah, I think it'll exactly. be better next year. Oh, this seriously, if we're saying the same thing next year, <laughs> it'll be very depressing. <laughs> it will be. It will be. Anyway, um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me, and congratulations on such an yeah. awesome run and for representing Australia and and just it's just brilliant. So thank we're you. all very proud of you, and and it was a well deserved award or two awards so um yeah how can people find you or follow you are you on the socials yeah um i don't put anything particularly interesting on insta just the odd picture of um interest you know semi-interesting things i see in the bush and, and the like oh yeah look i'm on facebook i'm friends with lots and lots of people yeah twitter i've got i i am on twitter um but um at the moment i'm trying to avoid it um, yes twitter can yeah. be um <laughs> that can be a bit depressing too with all the covid stuff yeah. on there can be yeah, yeah yeah but no i am i am on social yeah all right well um just look for annabelle just make sure you spell her name correctly <laughs> then That's you'll right. find it a bit easier <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, we were talking about that a bit earlier. So people misspell our names and, and I misspelled Annabelle. So I felt terrible. I don't apologise. No, I, everyone misspells Annabelle. Yeah, yeah. All righty. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and I yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for taking interest. Okay. Bye. Bye. I think it is very apt that we recorded this episode on International Women's Day. Annabelle is certainly showing what women are capable of. I hope you find her as inspiring as I did. Keep on running.